0: Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those stupendous and sloppy movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood just won't let die. On today's episode, we're going to talk about The Magnificent Seven. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave, and this here, as always, is my co-host, Mike. So what's new today, dude?
1: Nothing's new, Dave. I'm excited to be here, uh, finally recording this episode with you. We haven't been able to get our schedules just right, so we're recording this much later than usual, and we are both, or at least I am, a couple drinks in, so we will see how <laughs> um, how this goes. But, I might have had uh, a margarita with dinner. You know, I, I I'm on my second Paloma right now, nice. so... Um, Let's t- let's just dive. Let's dive right into the uh, the Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai, nineteen fifty four. Have you ever seen this movie before?
0: Never. Um, and I was surprised at just how super duper long it is. Like it has a uh, it has an intermission, like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, right?
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what movies used to be, right? They used to be um, like tie wearing affairs for you to take the whole family out. It was like going to see a play.
0: Honestly, I think movies these days sometimes could use an intermission, right? Like like because there is, is that website that tells you when the best pee break is in the movie, like <laughs> like when I'm thinking of like when Endgame came out, right? Like Avengers Endgame and people were like, "Oh, the best pee break is like when they're building the time machine or fucking spoiler alert but uh there should probably be an intermission in a movie like that
1: right i definitely am always hedging my bets during a really long movie of being like all right how much do i think is going to happen in the next five minutes am i going to miss action am i going to miss exposition can i afford to go to the bathroom but still know what's happening when i come back <laughs> uh, and this this definitely <laughs> was, was not one of those movies i'd say throughout um i really enjoyed this movie this is if for anybody who hasn't seen the seven samurai it is like the quintessential um, action movie. Uh, some say the first action movie of all time. Ooh. It is. Uh, it basically is the predecessor to all modern day action movies, um, I would say. Everything is basically just a remake of this movie. Everything from, um, we, we talked, I sent you a text message that said, uh, this, is basic, this is the exact same plot as A Bug's Life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think about it until you said that, but it absolutely is. A Bug's Life is more like Three Amigos uh, with, with Steve Martin and uh martin short but um it like it just like even the avengers is is just another version of seven samurai you know like there's like there's these bad guys they're bothering this town the town needs to find some heroes they find the best people there are at the thing that they do it just happens to be samurai um and they hire them to kick a bunch of ass and then they kick a bunch of ass and the bad guys lose and the good guys win and we ride off into the sunset to go on another journey yeah, it's, it, struck <laughs> well, like, uh, right.
0: <laughs> it struck me like right. Um, it struck me like, yeah, you're right. Like this sort of assembling of specialists, right? Which kind of reminded me of like an Ocean's Eleven or something. Uh, so yeah, it seems like when a movie is this good, not only does it sort of get enshrined in history, but it like becomes a genre. You know, they're right. like, oh, this is just a Seven Samurai style movie now.
1: Right. And this movie was directed by the legendary Akira Kosawa. Um, this is probably his most well-known film. He is an exquisite um, director and editor um, of films from this time period. He is one of the most famous uh, directors of all time. Um, he had a way of filmmaking that was really made him stand out from the pack um, back in the 1950s. And um, just his use of um, camera movements and actors' movements and um, the scene setup was so much more um, artistic than anybody else was doing. Now you know there's like certain uh, directors like um, oh man, uh, uh, who's, the, who's the Darjeeling Limited guy? Wes Anderson. <laughs> Wes Anderson. Now you have certain directors like Wes Anderson who are like known for the way that they set up their shots and the way that they um, film their scenes. But at the time that um, movies were still relatively new and people were kind of figuring this out. In fact, this was the very first movie where Kasawa ever used multiple cameras to shoot any one scene. Oh, wow. Um, That's pretty wild. Yeah, so that was. um, He needed multiple cameras for some of the action scenes because they. So he demanded that they build a small town for him to film this in instead of filming this on set at the Togo Studios. Sure. um, Because he wanted it to be as realistic as possible. So he couldn't fit um, his normal camera rigs in the small town they built. So he would film all the action scenes in one take and just do it with multiple cameras to make sure that he got all the shots he needed and then he would edit them together later. He edited Damn. this whole movie like he would like shoot all day and then edit all night. Like this was like a this was really like a like love child for him.
0: I feel like um when you go back and you watch a movie like this or like when I was in high school and we were in video and film class, you know, shout out to Mr. Arnt. Uh we would watch like <laughs> A Citizen. reference everybody
1: gets, Dave. Right. Well, he, maybe he, maybe
0: he's listening to our podcast, you know, bring a tear to his eye.
1: This is a famous podcast. Everybody listens to us.
0: When you would watch like Citizen Kane or something, you know, he kind of had to sort of hedge the movie to us. He's like, okay, guys, listen. He's like, some of you are probably going to fall asleep. He's like, because by today's standards, this movie is fairly, you know, run of the mill. He goes, but back in the day, he goes, they didn't do close-ups before this movie. You know, right, like, they, right, like, right, invent, right, they like invented shit for this movie, you know,
1: <laughs> they, they didn't light scenes differently, <laughs> before right, right, movie. exactly. <laughs> that was the thing I remember from Citizen Kane. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, Akira Kazawa, this was like he actually had samurais in his ancestral lineage, and this was like a dream project for him. Um, and his original idea was to make it about the life of a samurai. Um, begin just like and i would have loved for him to just make this movie this sounds awesome just like a movie it's a samurai he wakes up in the morning he eats breakfast he goes to his master's castle um and he just goes throughout his day doing samurai stuff and then at the end of the day he makes a mistake that's so egregious he has to go home and kill himself to save face um Ooh. in the way that like samurais used to do right sure. Harakiri. oh yeah um, hara right same thing right well i don't know sure <laughs> <laughs> um And he he really loved this idea and he started doing tons of research on the average life of a samurai um, or the average day-to-day life of a samurai. And he just didn't feel that um, the historical facts backed it up what he wanted the movie to be. So he changed it to be um, a film that would cover five samurai battles of different famous Japanese swordsmen. Right? So he got um, a writer together and they started working on the script and they were laying the movie out. And then he... um, ultimately scrapped that as well because he was he feel, felt like it was a lot of like climaxes but there was no story throughout there was nothing linking these it was just they didn't have time if they're gonna do five samurai battles, right, uh, were, that's, battles that's gonna be it <laughs> right yeah there's no time for anything else but then but everything else is why you watch a movie so he was like all right we can't do that either so he came up with this story um which all of the samurai in this uh except for one were based off of actual real historical samurai okay oh, so this is the the ones that he wanted to make um Battles about just ended up being uh, in put into this. So um, I'm going to be honest. This is this movie was very long. Uh, it was a lot of subtitles. I very much enjoyed it, but it took a lot of attention for me yeah. <laughs> to uh, uh, to watch. And I learned almost no one's name all the right. way through. So I apologize to all of the film nerds who are listening to this. I don't know anybody's name in this. I know that there's the uh, there's there's the old one. There's the old one, uh, his friend from from the war. There's yep. there's the young one. There's the young drunk one. There's the yep. the quiet one. <laughs> 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 there's sneezy. There's dopey. Uh, there's Doc and bashful. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah, I actually <laughs> had
0: to have like a little name key. Like I had to have like a little like um, list of the of the people written down um, because I was kind of starting to like lose track. Um, you know, I I think. Um, it's not shameful to say that this movie is is fucking long, right? It's three and a half hours long. It's that's, very long. That's fucking long. Number two, it's tough to watch a long movie with subtitles. Uh it's tough to watch a long black and white movie with subtitles. And it's tough to watch a long black and white movie with subtitles from 1954. <laughs> because a lot of stuff has evolved since then. From Japan. <laughs> from Japan. Yeah, so it, it's a challenging watch. It's not this like fun... This isn't
1: even like an American-made movie with actors speaking a different language and requires subtitles. No, no, this is a foreign-made movie. Yeah, right.
0: So so we
1: totally uh, respect and appreciate
0: Seven Samurai, but I'll just be honest, it's a rough watch for me. You know, like uh, some of my friends from college say that some books or maybe even some movies are like eat your peas reading. You know, this is like eat your, like it's good for you, you know, but you don't necessarily like it.
1: I don't know. I like, I, I agree and I disagree. Like there's there's parts of this. I definitely had to break this up because it required so much attention for me. Normally when I'm doing a movie w- that for this podcast, um, I have like my Google doc open. I'm writing notes as I'm going. I'm like, I'm watching, but I'm also like tr- thinking of like things happen. I'm like, oh, d- is that, Accurate to the time period. Let me like research that or whatever. And this is like the first time I was like, no, if I look away for a second, I have no idea what's going on because <laughs> I can't file follow the dialogue for anything. Um, yeah. It's so I it's... just had to like sit and stare at the television reading the subtitles intently. So I actually had, to really had to, I had to break it up. It was a lot, but I really liked everything that I saw. Like there was no part of it that I felt was like a slog. Like there was no part of it that was like, um, unenjoyable. Or, I don't... It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that low, I don't low, know if huh? I would give it... I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I would say it deserves a 100%. Um, but I, I I, think it's great. Like, I would definitely suggest sitting down and watching this if you have the, the patience to sit down and read subtitles for three and a half hours. It is very long. I think they could have uh, cut some stuff out. I mean, it's made in the 50s. I don't know. Um, but, like... I get why the, the uh, Magnificent Seven versions um, condense the story down a little bit, but... I mean, what do you? This is. I mean, this is. This is the pre-avengers world, right? We our, each of these seven samurai didn't have their own movie before this. We have to right. introduce them and set them up.
0: This wasn't the samurai verse. This wasn't the, <laughs> the, this wasn't the, the, the crossover The uh, epic the the crossover event. The Kusawa verse.
1: This is uh, this is the eighth movie in Kasir, uh, Akira Kusawa's uh, samurai verse, and after he set up each individual character. Um, no, this is this is it. We only have this one movie to set up everybody, and they have to they have to matter. Like you have to care about them by the end because spoilers. They all die, so like <laughs> if they, if they, if we don't care about who they are, and we can't even tell them apart. Like what is what is the movie even? You know? Yeah,
0: um, I I definitely if anything, like, I feel the pressure uh, because now we're like a movie podcast, capital M, capital P, movie podcast uh, that I have to be like. This movie was, a, it's a well, seminal classic. We
1: are, a, we are a film history podcast. All
0: right. That makes, actually makes the point I'm about to make even more hurtful, <laughs> uh, that because we are a film history podcast, uh, I have to be like, this was the greatest movie I've ever seen. Of course, it's a modern classic, <laughs> uh, man. I, I feel like I have to do like 10 Hail Marys to be like, I, you know, I just didn't really do it for me. Like, I appreciate that it was a contribution to the art form and stuff, but I would never watch it again, uh.
1: No, no, I don't know if I would watch it again. It would take a lot. It's just, it took so much energy for me to like sit and watch um and, and read, const- constantly just read the subtitles. Subtitles was the biggest thing. If I could put this on and like just have it play and like pay uh, three fourths of an attention to it, like I- I'd watch this again, right. you know, right. Um it just took, it required so much um attention from me to sit and read all the subtitles and and watch the film. Um, the actors are all playing their characters um, awesomely. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. They're really embodying um, who each of their characters are. Um, Kazawa was always great at um, getting his actors to imbibe little characteristics into each of their characters. Um, his one of his big things was that he would tell um, each of his actors to pick one movement or gesture um, that they would repeat throughout different scenes in the oh, film cool. so that the audience would um, easily be able to tell um, characters apart if they weren't paying much attention through like visual cues. But also it gives obvious insight into the characters like emotions. Cause if that character has a tick and then he gets really mad and he does that tick and it's like really annoyed looking, it's it's just an easier insight into what's going on in that character's head. Um, so he was really in cue with just these little uh, eccentricities of filmmaking that make, you really connect to the characters on screen and the story being told um and I really appreciate his his work here this this he this film is nothing like if you really think about it this film is nothing there's nothing there uh, it's just, it's it's a bunch of a bunch of peasants need to prevent their town from being beaten from faceless barbarians <laughs> I don't think we, we don't really get a main bad guy in this right like I mean at the end there's the one guy who gets murdered right. but like he doesn't. He, I don't even know who he is. I don't, he doesn't have any character. And then we just have to, like, come up with a reason to care about all these... The Seven Samurai and the people in the village, the entire village of people. Why do we care about them before the uh, climactic, like, battle at the end? I don't know. It's a it's a lot of work to be done um, with the simplest of stories, like,
0: ever. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very ambitious. I mean, we can definitely say that, right? Like, the scale of the sets and the battles... You know, like they really burned down those houses in the background in the last hour. Right. Right. You know, like this is so wild. They had
1: the shoot down, uh, shut down uh, production because they couldn't get enough horses at certain points during filming. They had a shortage of horses. Yeah. So (laughs) that would be unheard of today.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It really feels like, you know, they were trying to do something uh, very epic and awesome here and they definitely succeeded. I mean, it's pretty impressive. You know, for 2021. This is alone... George
1: Lucas's favorite film of all time. Right. He's the Star Wars guy.
0: Yeah. And so he, so he knows, and I don't know. You know, my my role on on our amateur film history podcast is I'm the guy on this podcast that hasn't seen anything and doesn't know anything about movies. So I'll defer to George Lucas. I think he knows a little bit more about movies than I do.
1: I'm George Lucas, and this movie is awesome.
0: Wow. Thanks, George wow, Lucas. I can't believe he just woke his head in here. I can't believe that guy was here.
1: He smoked in. It was crazy. Get out of my apartment, George Lucas. So anyway, <laughs> one of the things I thought was
0: cool is that uh, this is kind of like uh, one of the things that they, I guess, they hit on right is that it's like a cool display of the the transition in Japanese warfare style from swords to guns right like right um it it i guess is like a depiction of that moment in history when uh all of a sudden like the type of war changes right
1: what's cool about this whole franchise since we're a film history podcast here official uh capital f capital h um we uh th- <laughs> th- like these two this movie th- right now 7 samurai samurai films embody a like period in japanese film um Making where that was like the most popular thing in the same way that what it would become in the American version, the western embodies like a period in filmmaking, yeah right these, like these this whole franchise just like carves out a like period of uh, p- filmmaking for which um the like it embody tries to make the best possible version of the genre that it is portraying, and that's pretty cool.
0: Um, when we watch this movie, we start to see, you know, the pattern of this genre or this style of movie that gets remade. And you can see the sort of beats evolve, right? So, you know, it starts off with the townspeople being screwed over by somebody. Then they see some sort of badass hero doing something inexplicably noble for how badass he is. So they get him. And then that guy recruits the other six. You get to see the little vignettes of all who the six specialists are and what they do best then they come together there's an initial showdown with like a smaller force of the enemy then they fortify the town and they kind of train the farmers in terms of like warfare uh in turn the townspeople sort of uh, reciprocally kind of like teach the gunmen or the, you know, the fighters, right? They teach them things too, the samurai. Like they learn some stuff from the townspeople. They, uh, you know, are humanized by the people that they help. Uh, and then it ends in this climactic final battle. And then at the end, I think there is always three survivors, no matter what. Yes. So this is like the formula begins here. And it's not like... um you know, Kurosawa doesn't have the formula written for him. Like, he co- he comes up with it. And then everybody else afterwards copies that formula. Uh, and it always ends in uh, this sort of, like, uh, tableau of the Pyrrhic victory, right? Where they sort of win, but it's kind of more like a moral victory. You know, they help the town, but a lot of them die. Uh, and they kind of uh, have, like, a bittersweet ending where, at the end, the the main guy says, like, you know so he admits some horrific truth at the end and then the movie cuts right
1: our seven heroes find something greater than themselves that is worth fighting for in the town of peasants in which they decided to defend and they give their lives to make sure that the way of life of these noble farmers is preserved for all future generations (laughs) um And that's the that's the easiest way to sum it up. Uh, we could we could pick apart the little eccentricities of this movie. Um, the the fight scenes weren't spectacular. Yeah, um, you could tell the, that
0: like fight choreography and editing is something that has evolved a lot over time. <laughs> no, um, there was
1: no fight choreography. They, they you could tell that they they were just hitting each other with prop swords. There was no yeah, right. Um, I mean, I was, try- no, I was trying to be nice uh, violence about it, or gore that was shown um they just like they would just hit each other with prop swords until one of them would fall over and then they would like a group would huddle would run around them and then look like they were stabbing them with spears um and then it would just (laughs) the movie would just cut away as if like you know that guy's dead right he's dead (laughs) Uh, and that's kind of it but um but i thought it was i thought this movie was great i loved I, i wish i could remember a single character's name so i could get into like each of the characters but i loved i loved the the young drunk one um he was fun he he had he had a lot of uh uh, jokes going on as he was trying to train all the townspeople um i i read that a lot of that was actually improv too he would and oh, then he stayed in character cool. for the entire time um so i thought that was cool um i i just liked how likable all of them were like they there is nobody like um it, it, something we'll get to but in the the new one the new 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 one um the characters are like like, some of them are just forgettable. Yeah, like, they're just Whatever. They're all whatever. But like everybody in this was like was at least a likable character, um, and I thought it was I thought it was great. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, the movie was very expensive. It was one of the most expensive films for the time. Um, it almost bankrupted to host uh, studios to make this Godzilla and uh, Samurai One Mushishashu um, Miyamoto um, all in the same year. Someone's definitely going to hate me for the way I pronounce that one. Yeah, I think um, I think
0: we have to reinforce here that Mike's pronunciation of Asian <laughs> names is horrific, and we're sorry about it.
1: I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> um, these these three films were made, and uh, were the most expensive Japanese films made up to that point, and Toho Studios made them all three in the same year, but they all three were giant financial successes, and Toho is was uh, the number one movie studio in Japan. So it worked out. That, they, they, that's what they we call did great. a
0: double down or triple down, even. Good for right. them.
1: <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have that much more to say about this. Um, I agree. I, oh, I, one thing I liked is that the, uh, the, it was so expensive, the studio went to shut it down numerous times. And each time, instead of fighting with the studio, uh, Kazawa would go on a fishing trip and just wait for them to call him. And his whole reasoning was that they put so much money already into the film that there's no way they were going to shut it down and just lose all that now. <laughs> so he's like, all right, like right, you're going to shut it down, I'll go, I'll go fishing, and then you guys call me when you want to start badass. it back up, it's fine.
0: That's a badass right there. <laughs> I agree. And he was right. I know I know you're saying the movie <laughs> is great, and I will say that I agree that it is like capital G great, but I don't know if... I'm not uh,
1: saying it didn't take a lot of energy from me yeah. to, get, to get through the movie, but I, I liked it. I didn't. I did not like it in any way. I thought it was great. I thought it was long. Right. It was very. Again, we we could we could have cut some of the things here. We didn't need all of the scenes. But uh, <laughs> overall, I thought it was pretty good. Not a hundred percent good. I don't agree with rotten tomatoes, but you know, it was pretty good. You heard it here
0: first. Nothing new under the sun says so Seven Samurai is pretty good. <laughs>
1: it's, pretty, it's pretty. good. <laughs> it's all right. It's a good. It's an all right movie. It's a good movie. It's it's uh it's all right.
0: So we we were gonna get into the fact that it's remade into the Magnificent Seven. Um, but I heard that there is actually a Japanese remake of Seven Samurai called 13 Assassins. Uh, our buddy Frankie texted to tell me that. I said, well, listen, I said, I've already watched like enough, uh, a group of dudes defend a town movies this week. So I'm definitely not watching that. But did you hear about that movie?
1: <laughs> I've, I've not heard about that movie, but right. I, am I surprised? No, it's, right. it's, again, this is, this is every movie ever. This is the Avengers. Like this is. Like the event, what is the Avengers? The Avengers is um, seven superhero, superpowered people, right? Seven? A bunch yeah, of about, them. Yeah, about, whatever. A lot of them. Seven superpowered people have to um, defend Earth because Loki's going to bring his army there and he's going to fuck shit up. And so like they have to use their spectacular skills to defeat Loki and his army. And then they do. And uh, the, you know the world is saved. It's like this, that's, that's, it's, every every, it's every movie. It's every movie. Every um, movie. Any movie. Any Rugrats big action Paris? movie. What? Rugrats go to Paris. You know, yeah, uh, Tommy, Tommy, Chucky, Chucky uh, yeah. Phil, and Lil. They have to. They <laughs> they, have to they defend they, Paris. They go out. They go to Paris. And um, what's what's her name? The little the little Paris girl. She um, she needs a new a new daddy. And so they defend Paris from Reptar and the world is saved. Oh my god! I can That's how that movie went, right? Yeah.
0: Um, I, that I mean that was convincing enough for me. <laughs>
1: Uh, something like that so you know I oh there's so many action remake ac- or action movies that are just this movie I don't know like it's you you even said ocean's 11 like it's that's it's just you take this and you make it a, a heist film you know like it's just this is like it's such this is such a quintessential film that laid the groundwork for this is how you make a group um movie right this is how you make a like a a, a multi-star action movie or any or a, or it, a multi-star driven vehicle of any kind I'm- that you just like you just take you have to you have to have the part where the first guy is introduced and he's the best guy and he's probably like the most likable and the most relatable but he's got another guy <laughs> who's like just as likable and relatable as him but maybe he's a, a little bit shiftier, or a little bit younger. Or he's like, he's he's new to the game or he's he's whatever. And then, you know, then they have to get their team together. It's that episode of Rick and Morty, where it's, you know, I'm just like, I mean,
0: uh, I'm picturing some sort of like, drinking game, kind of like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, where you name a movie and you <laughs> say, OK, how is this the Magnificent Seven or how is this the Seven Samurai?
1: <laughs> it's, it's every it's every. um. Uh, Fast and the Furious movie. We just keep adding new people, right? You just—it's—it's it's that. Now we add that last guy that we fought in that other movie because he's an hes an interesting, notable character. We're just gonna add him to the team because we need another guy on the team. Like it's—that's this, this, how this—that's how movies go now. They just remake the Seven Samurai over and over. <laughs> it's a
0: lucrative—a lucrative, uh, a lucrative <laughs> opportunity. I don't blame them. So how do we get from Seven Samurai to Magnificent Seven in
1: 1960? Um, I couldn't find a like specific jumping off point. I mean it's 8 years Seven Samurai was I know it was um brought to the US it didn't make a ton of money in the US unfortunately um its opening weekend in US was in the US was only $15,000 wow Ugh. I guess six if I round up if I round up it's it's $16,000 so we'll go we'll go with $16,000 yep. it's overall gross in the US was 318,000 um it really did not do good. When Toho Studios brought it to the U.S., they actually cut 50 minutes from the film because they were afraid that um, the American um, distributors would not buy it if they knew how long it actually was. Um, so I mean, I don't blame them, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're ignorant America. Nobody wants to see a movie in a different language.
0: And also, <laughs> like, it's very hard like, to read subtitles if you're eating popcorn in a movie theater. You know, if you look down at your food, you're going to miss something.
1: So, uh, I didn't... I, but it was, it was a huge hit, like, overall. Like, it was within the film world, at least. Like I said, it was uh, George Lucas's favorite movie of all time. Like, like, everybody in the film world knew about this movie. They were all watching it. And it was eventually brought to make a remake... Um, with John Sturges at the at the helm here in the U.S., and they decided to go with a western film because, like I said, westerns were the big thing here. I don't know if American audiences in the uh, in 1960 would have identified with a samurai film necessarily.
0: Right. Well, I mean, westerns were big, right? So that makes sense.
1: Westerns were super big and super popular, and they immediately cast um, Yule Brenner as the main guy. And he suggests casting Steve McQueen. Wow! um, Which sets up a dynamic for the film of the filming of this movie that I would uh, say was chaotic to say the least.
0: (laughs) Well, Yul Brenner, (laughs) Um, we should say, uh, featured prominently in our Westworld episode, where he's essentially, I guess, playing a parody of his character. Yul Brenner.
1: we talked about this in the Westworld uh, episode. Yul Brenner is literally playing this character. He's wearing the exact same outfit he wears here. He was hired because he was in this movie, and he wore that outfit um, from this movie to look like a generic cowboy that would be seen in such a land. The gunslinger. Him and Steve McQueen did not get along on set <laughs> at all. They were just two big attitudes the whole time who were trying to upstage each other um, throughout the entire film. Um Steve McQueen would uh, do things off screen, uh, went on screen to draw attention away from Joel Brennan's character and his character, uh, towards his character. Um, like he would, there was a scene where they were both looking off into the sunset and Steve McQueen would take his hat off and like, like cover his eyes with his hat so that like he notably had all this extra movement going on <laughs> um, or like he would um, shake shotgun shells and like do just just little like eccentricities to make sure like all the attention would be on him during the scene sure. instead of on Yul Brenner um, which caused a bunch of fights between the two of them apparently Brenner is also like much shorter than Steve McQueen Ooh. so there is some scenes where um where um Joel Brenner uh was concerned about how much taller Steve McQueen looked than him and so he would um make a little mound of dirt for him to stand on. And Steve McQueen would like kick it during like scenes where they were in together. Like right. as he passed by, he would kick the dirt mound. <laughs> so they like, they really had like a huge uh, uh, battle between each other going on, which, which um, went out to all the other actors in the film. Uh, the one upmanship between Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen spread to all the other actors where they started, all the actors started pulling stunts during scenes to get their <laughs> audience's attention. And um, John Sturges, like, like was so upset about how he lost control of the cast and <laughs> didn't understand what was going <laughs> wrong. It was just cause all these big personalities like couldn't stand that like one of them might get, draw more attention than the other during the scene. So, Can't um, have that. gotta go into business for yourself. Right. Exactly. Here's a sweet touching story. Um, Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen did eventually reconcile on Steve McQueen's di- deathbed. Um, Steve McQueen dying of cancer called Yul Brenner um, to say that, um, to say, you could have kicked me off that movie when I rattled you, but you let me stay and that picture made me, so thanks. And Brenner replied to him, I am the king and you are the rebel prince. Every bit is royal and dangerous to cross. Oh, <laughs> so, what a weird so, thing to say. So, I know. <laughs> Two men in their 80s, both dying. <laughs> um, this is Brenner, how they...
0: Yul Brenner replies, ha ha, you died
1: first. <laughs> and Yul Brenner died four years later. So oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, death is coming for us all. Um, so, But they made up before, the, before they went um, in, in this touching, weird, weird moment between the two of them, and uh, I just wanted to share that story.
0: I think uh, one of the things that I am certain we can agree on is that this movie is much higher quality than the direct remake in 2016 in almost every single way.
1: Yeah, probably. Uh,
0: the music is better, the characters are more fleshed out, the area that they are sort of acting in and living in is more fleshed out. The characters have better motivations. You know, they're fighting for, um, you know, like a Mexican border town. Uh, so this movie is, like, somehow more progressive and, like, less racist than the new one when they're just fighting for, like, a bunch of white people. Uh,
1: it's easy to compare this one, and it's like, in all of our mov- all of our uh, episodes, for the most part, we're doing direct remakes of each other, right? It's, it's always easy to compare something that's an actual remake, like it's difficult to compare the new remake to Seven Samurai. Oh, yeah, I mean... there's almost nothing in common between the two, other than all the bullshit I said before about the story being the exact same. It's like a game (laughs) of
0: movie remake telephone, right? Like, they go from Seven Samurai to Magnificent 760, and then Magnificent 760, they're like, okay, we'll take some of the good stuff from that, and we'll turn it into, like, Chris Pratt does silly stuff in 2016.
1: Right. Um, The new Magnificent 7, or I guess... I. Ugh, uh, this is so tough. The 1960s Magnificent Seven, the new Seven Samurai, um, versus the new Magnificent Seven, the uh, uh, 2016 16. Seven Samurai, um, are is a huge gap on Rotten Tomatoes between their score. Um, the original having an 89% and the new one having a uh, 64%. Right. So. Audiences did not like the new one compared to this one. I didn't hate um, the new one. I don't we'll know it. if I'd say it's, like, the biggest gap in quality. I don't know if I uh, agree that it deserves to have that much lower of a score than the original. Um, but it's it's definitely better <laughs> than the new one. It's definitely sure. better. It, I didn't hate the new
0: one. Like, I didn't think that the new one was dog shit. Like, it was entertaining. No, it was all right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was... It was it was inoffensively okay. Yeah. We'll we'll get into right. it. But uh, this, <laughs> it's like, but this it's movie fine. this
0: movie I legit really liked, you know? Um uh, all the characters uh I thought were just great and they just had like uh touching motivations. Uh the kid that I especially liked was uh the kid who plays Chico, right? He's kind of like the one who uh is the uh super dramatic, like they call him like the hot blooded trick shooter. Uh, the guy who looks like Dave Franco, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, and a, and a lot of listeners know who that guy is too. <laughs> yeah uh, he he did a he did an excellent job. Um, you he, he obviously was the uh the young drunk one <laughs> of, of the Seven Samurai, uh, the equivalent. Um, he immediately as he comes in that he has the the very similar scene where he comes in real drunk and he challenges the the main character in this film. It's Yul Brynner. Yep. Um, to a to a shootout because of his his honor has been disrespected, um, and then eventually he ends up teaming up with them. He, uh, all of the all of the the gunmen in this movie do a great job. I feel like this movie got me. I don't know if it was just the language barrier and the. Um, uh i don't know the the tradition barrier the, the the fact that i'm a i'm a white american during um t- 2021 and not a uh japanese um farmer during 1958 but i really felt more connected to the people of this town sure of course I um, understand i did in the original yeah um there's the one scene where um the one guy from the town is with Steve McQueen, and he asks him if his hands always get sweaty yeah. before a fight. Uh-huh. Um, that scene was so relatable to me. Like I, I've done, um, I've never been in a in a shootout, but <laughs> I've, done, I've done oh, no? of. of <laughs> uh, disclaimer here, everybody. Mike has never been in a shootout <laughs> with anybody, but um, I have done. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a snowboarder. I, I do, I do like action sports and stuff. I've done things where like I was, it was like a risky thing for me to do, and I've definitely felt that situation before. You go where, you, uh as, uh, as, um, as, as the great Marshall Mathers once said, my, my palms were sweaty, my knees were weak, and my arms were heavy. Could
0: you tell me anything about Mom's spaghetti though?
1: <laughs> I found that, I found that scene entire like super relatable. Um, and I, uh, yeah. This, <laughs> I thought this movie was really good. Um, I liked that we got to know the the bad guy right off the bat.
0: Sure, yeah, Calvera. And we got to yep. like
1: and know him specifically, not just not just bandits, but this one guy. I
0: agree. That was a huge improvement.
1: It, just him showing up and being an asshole for us to like remember that like that's what the stakes are. The stakes are this guy. I
0: thought that actually the new movie, the 2016 one, did that the best.
1: The new movie actually based that upon a, a real person.
0: Oh, really, Bogue? Yes, and. It's in my notes somewhere. We'll go back. One of the things I wanted to say about the 1960 <laughs> movie is that they have so many badass one-liners. Uh, like when uh, they copy it in the new movie, but he says, uh, I've been offered a lot for my work, but never everything. Ooh, chills when I heard that. Uh, and then they got the one where he says, uh, we deal in lead, friend. Uh, that's like a big one in um, in uh, The Dark Tower by Stephen King. That's like they directly lift that line from this movie. I know now
1: the whole aesthetic of the time is kind of captured in this movie right of what is great about the westerns of this time period yeah absolutely which is really funny because we look back on this as one of like the great westerns of the of the time period of the 1960s but during i this is i i might be wrong here i I'd have to do more research i think this was right when westerns were kind of going out of style because this movie was not a hit when it came out this movie really? was not popular i didn't know that no that's that's the, th- that's the one thing that all three of the movies we've covered today have in common is that none of them were really well regarded by critics um, <laughs> when they came out and none of them really made any money upon release. Um, this was not a popular movie um, one, when it first was released. It was only like in retrospect as it became like really popular with all the film nerds that it is now looked back on um, with such, uh, in such great regard.
0: So, uh, everybody go ahead and follow us on Instagram if you would like at nothingnew.show. You just type that into your little Instagram and you'll find us. Mike lovingly maintains that Instagram, uh, with posts about the show and also sometimes other posts about things that he cares about. He did a, he did a drink pairing, uh, one, one month, right?
1: I did that for Halloween. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how often it'll, we'll see, we'll see if I'm feeling fun. Uh, we've got a <laughs> website. I like to do stuff. I like to do stuff to try and engage you if you want to go over to the Instagram, um, some people really seem to enjoy what I do. Um, I don't know.
0: It's got, uh, you know, it's it's gotten a pretty good amount of followers now, man. Like, uh, I logged back in. Like, I don't normally, you know, go into Instagram, but I logged back in and I was like, oh shit, got some people on there now um we've got a website you know you can find this podcast you know evidently because you're listening to it you know this uh wherever you listen to podcasts um but if you go on our website which is especially w
1: especially the place where you are listening to it right that, now. wherever
0: you're listening to it that's our favorite place <laughs> if you go to uh www.nothingnew.show uh you can see all the episodes listed in one place uh and you can see all the different uh avenues that we have like you can uh, ask your alexa device to play our show pretty interesting Uh, You can also find us on Patreon, Uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash nothing new under the sun, uh, you can become one of our patrons and unlock exclusive bonus content. Uh, One of the things that really helps is if you tell, you know, a friend or a family member about the show, Uh, and especially if you would leave us a review on your podcast app. Uh, Again, you know, whichever one you're listening to, that would be great. And if we spoke too fast, you can find all these links in the show notes, the episode description. You just go down there and you can click right on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, Magnificent Seven, uh, 2006 scene. Um, this movie was a long-time long uh, planned remake um, by MGM, and uh, Antoine Fuca, who is the, uh, the director of this movie, um, wanted to make this since he was a teenager. Oh, um, wow. He was inspired to be a filmmaker after watching two films, this, The Magnificent Seven, and Scarface. Um, he said that he would lobby to do remakes of both those films if there would be a plan to do so, and he got the chance um, after meeting a producer at MGM, um, and they set and they signed him on to um, release his film or his version of the remake of the Magnificent Seven. Um, the first two people that he uh, cast in the film were Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt. There you go. Um, he at first was not sure about um, casting Chris Pratt. But after um a phone call between the two where Chris Pratt just out of nowhere started singing O oh Shenandoah, uh Fuqua immediately declared that Pratt is just like Steve McQueen <laughs> and wanted him on the film.
0: Uh I always say every episode that I watch these in reverse order, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I watched the you know, the new one first and then I watched the Steve McQueen one and I'm like, Oh, that's what Chris Pratt is trying to do. He's trying to do Steve McQueen. I understand now. <laughs>
1: Right, um, other actors who were previously either in talks to star or were approached for the roles. Um, Tom Cruise was a pr- was originally um, in talks to star in the movie, oh, man, for um, fuck's but he sake. did not move on for whatever reason. Uh, keep keep fucking Tom Cruise, Cruise out sure. of
0: every remake. Get that fucking guy <laughs> away from our remakes.
1: Please, no, I can't. I, I can't. I don't do even hate, Tom, I don't Cruise hate Tom
0: Cruise. Like I like Mission
1: Impossible, but get that guy the fuck out of any remake movie. No, no, no. Dave, Dave, we love Tom Cruise, and we thank the Church of Scientology for all the great things that they've done for us. Uh, but, but please do not remake uh, any more any more movies, Tom Cruise. You're so amazing in all of your original movies. Um, and I'm sure that you can let just you're so awesome. You can let somebody else share in the awesomeness. That's right. Of, you don't of, need this. You don't need this. these films. No, you don't need this. You you got you got that Scientology money. Um, Christian Bale was approached about a role at some point, no, but he I'm turned them about. down. Um, Tom Sizemore was considered for the role of Jack Horn, and Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, and Matt Damon were all considered for different parts at some point. Huh. Um, obviously, none of them signed on. Right.
0: But I think the cast we got was pretty good. Pretty fucking good. I agree, dude. Vincent D'Onofrio as Jack Horn, the sort of like hunter-trapper bear he was my favorite Be- oh my film. god he was one of a kind <laughs> that, so he was amazing from the moment he he gets oh. on camera i was like
1: oh perfect one thing this version does really really well is sets apart everyone's fighting style yes absolutely um, which in the way that the the other two do not at all i feel like the you have the guy in in the in the magnificent seven who's like better at knives than everybody right. but like in the end it's just everybody shooting guns yep. like there's no it's just everybody's shooting guns. There's no difference. The, the one scene where D'Onofrio goes charging at the guy on his horse, tackles him off the horse, stabs him in the chest a million times, and then goes running after a guy who the other guy had a rifle, and he goes running after him head first <laughs> into that bar. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah! Like, this guy's my hero. Oh,
0: man. It was just. He's like a straight up Dungeons and Dragons character in this movie. It's just so fun. He's, <laughs> he's just, just such a barbarian.
1: Yeah, he's the 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 scene where he's introduced, where he throws that tomahawk into a guy's chest yes. and just runs down the other guy and beats him to death. <laughs> like, Beautiful. It's just he's such a brute. It's amazing. The,
0: yeah, the scene with I can't. They were the Something Brothers. You know, I want to say the yeah,
1: who, they're dead. Who cares? I want to say
0: the Kitchen Brothers, but that's from Fargo. But they, yeah, when he I don't know he just kills them both immediately. It was just like mwah, chef's kiss. Perfect introduction to the character. Uh, wait, actually, and. Speaking of killing people right away, uh, they just outright kill Matt Bomer in the first five minutes. Like, he's a big get. He's the star of White Collar. And they just fucking yeah. kill him in— um spoiler alert. They fucking kill Matt Bomer immediately. Such a ballsy decision. Uh, that movie
1: gave that— I feel like that— I was shocked by that move, but that set a tone for the rest of the movie, you know? Yeah. Like, you knew every— Like, when you saw him on screen, you were— Especially after I— Because I watched this in chronological order— I was like, oh, he's the young guy, right? right? Exactly, he's going to go and exactly. recruit all these other guys, and then he just dies. He just, they just straight up shoot him in the chest. I was immediately like, oh, man, like, everyone's in danger. Like, it really, it set the precedent for what we were about to um, to see and really raised the stakes in a way that, like, other action movies don't. It got, uh, um, I, it
0: got Bogue a lot of what we would call heel heat, right? You're like, ooh, he's right. the bad guy. I get it
1: now. Bartholomew Brogue was based on the real-life antagonist uh, Lawrence Murphy, who was a corrupt businessman of nineteen or eighteen seventy eight uh, Lincoln County Land War? That's pretty neat. Yeah, he bought up a bunch of uh, land and was a huge dick, that's, <laughs> that's, and that's who <laughs> they based the movie on. It's, it strikes <laughs> me that
0: if we take the three movies, right? We take The Seven Samurai, we take Magnificent Seven original, and we take The Magnificent Seven two thousand sixteen, and we put them on like a like a uh, a line, right? Uh, they're a, a perfect gradient from like a Serious, well-made, capital F film history movie. Uh, to that isn't necessarily, I'll say again, the most fun to watch. To a movie like this, which is like all fun, hardly historical. You know, there's like that one historical fact, right? And then like <laughs> not a not a hoity-toity film at all. Just like a fun, almost like dude action movie right like this is like almost on the level of like um the expendables or something like that
1: right right That's well, another. they're all this they're all just everything's just seven samurai man right that's right the expendable is <laughs> seven samurai yeah it's it's all seven samurai in
0: in the magnificent <laughs> seven chronology here there's something for every everybody to like if you're in kind of like a cork-sniffing mood, you got the Seven Samurai. And if you're in kind of like a drink a couple of beers, eat a whole pizza mood, you got the new Magnificent Seven. And if you're like, oh, I want to watch something
1: that is rewarding, you got the middle one. I thought this movie was enjoyable. I can't, I, I don't know. It seems to have like gotten a lot of hate. And like, I guess just because like, what do you, what do you expect at this point? I mean, really, like you're remaking a movie that is the basis for every movie that's ever come out. Like, like, are are you upset that you're not seeing something super original? Are you upset that you're not seeing something that is like the most action based or the most, um, intricate story? Like, I don't, I don't know what more this could have done. Like I was trying to think of it. I was trying to think of like what this movie was really, really lacking. And other than just being sanitized for modern day to the point where it was almost like kind of silly. Um, I don't know what, It was lacking that like the other movies like didn't already have other than just being uh, it's just we're doing it again. You know,
0: honestly, I thought it was solid as fuck. Like it's definitely not as good as the middle Magnificent Seven uh, in terms of almost every metric that you could sort of objectively evaluate it on on paper. But it is so fun. And it's just like movies are just it's okay for movies to just be fun. Right. Like they don't have to be good movies.
1: This is, and this is, this is a fun film. Um, I will, I will bring and it back. It's to actually kind of good is, is sanitized for Amer- for modern day audiences to a point that is like, it starts to stand out. The fact that, um, the, uh, the starring cast is so diverse, but it doesn't matter to anyone they come across. Yeah. Is almost like outlandish. Right. If not laughable. <laughs> like, um, listen, the people of the eighteen hundreds were very racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just say it. I know what you mean. Vincent D'Onofrio also this never came up. Vincent D'Onofrio, it's in, he's introduced as someone who made money scalping Native Americans, and then there's a Native American on the team. Right. And, and they don't ever totally like call cool it to blows. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're just they're just bros. Like it's just fine. Like yeah, you you scouted a lot of people, probably like a bunch of my like friends and family. It's cool, whatever. Yeah,
0: I um, I, like I said, I, because I watched the movies in reverse chronological order, I was thinking I'm like, oh, okay, so they have an Asian guy in their team, and they have uh, a Mexican guy in their team, they have a Native American guy in their team, and the reason is because, uh, in you know the 1950s, the 1960s, uh, that was like the quick way to delineate different people. We're like, oh, we'll just get a bunch of people who are different races but that was totally made for this movie like the only, they're like different races only for this movie and there's a part right. there's a part where chris pratt just like straight up makes fun of the mexican guy for being mexican and it's just like saying all this offensive racist shit and i was like oh okay they only put that in because that must have been in the original <laughs> they fucking made that up for this movie <laughs> like,
1: honestly look i know it's wrong right you shouldn't be you sh- Disclaimer, everybody, you shouldn't be racist. But, like, it makes sense for these characters to be making jokes like that for the time period, right? It was almost like the fact that that wasn't happening constantly all the time. If this was a Quentin Tarantino movie. I
0: I totally understand what you're saying. I think, though, this movie was totally fine. It was totally fun and fine to not be historically accurate right
1: i think it's to me it stood out a little bit and i don't know i don't know how you fix that because i don't wish there was i don't wish there was more racism in the film it just was it just all of them getting together and being so cool with each other right off the bat and just everybody being cool with them everyone they came across it just stands out a little bit because it's just not only is that not how Uh, history went but that's just also just like because other filmmakers are trying to be historically accurate that's just not how other films portray this time period Um, uh, one thing I will say before we move on from this this whole uh, conversation is that that was a choice that Antoine Fuqua made apparently um, when the uh, MGM came to him with the original version of the script all of the main characters were white and he was like, "No, I'm not making that movie that's not that's not the, my version of this. No one who goes to see this is going to identify with an entirely white cast. He's probably right. And that's, and he's right. That's not how movies make money these days. If you like, the highest grossing franchise of all time, other than the Avengers, is the Fast and the Furious, which has the most diverse cast. Unfortunately, if you were, if, I mean, I, I guess, unfortunately for racists. Um, Like like movies with entirely white casts don't make the same money as movies with diverse casts. Yeah, and so representation is important. It's it's a simple decision of like whether it be like uh, a woke. If if you're making the decision based on wokeness, or if you're making it based on dollar signs and just like pure pure monetary reasons, like you're going to make more money from this movie if there is if everybody who goes who wants to go see it is possibly represented, than if it's just a fully white cast.
0: You know who is pretty fucking dope. I have to say, Uh, Ethan Hawke playing Goodnight Robichaux loved his character. He did such a great job. He was great. I mean, this movie, like, let I I don't want to. it sounds like and I almost don't Oh want... we shit
1: on this we shit on this so hard before we got to it and yeah. now we're just like, like we're actually just loving it rules. It. I do <laughs> I actually don't wanna say it,
0: but maybe I should just say it to ruffle some feathers. I think I liked this movie better than I liked Seven Samurai.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised that you that you feel that way. That's how much um, of a pleb
0: I'm officially a pleb. I revoke my Cool guy card. I revoke my smart guy card. I fucking like this movie better than Seven Samurai. I said it. I'm brave enough. <laughs>
1: I'm, not, I'm not surprised. This this was a this was a like badass like two thousands action movie that you could just put on and just watch with in in dumb awe with, the, with the, no real care for. The real, the the um, the deeper meaning. There's no deeper meaning here. No. It's every all the characters stand out, and it's 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 a Seven Sebrae movie. It's, it's seven distinct characters. They all stand out. Um, they all are the best at what they do, and they're coming together for a purpose to defend this town. To steal the Declaration, um, declaration they all got of Independence. To, to steal the Declaration. <laughs> they all got awesome deaths. Uh, Chris Pratt's death notably Dude, was so good. so badass.
0: That's literally the um, only remaining note I have on my notes right I re- now. I
1: wanted to talk I wanted to do a whole thing on how the Gatling gun was so unrealistic for the time, but <laughs> apparently it wasn't. Apparently it was absolutely uh accurate for the time period. So like shut up, old Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Past Mike is totally wrong. He's a dickhead. This is those Palomas um, coming. Current Mike's folks. here to tell you. I <laughs> to tell you that Gatling gun is from the time period um and so that that scene where he runs up and he likes that dynamite that was awesome I couldn't really get behind him being a magic uh, uh, magic card magic yeah. guy yeah that was that was weird that was like a weird quirk for them to give him <laughs> um I, I don't know who came up with that on set but yeah this the all these movies are great, and I like them all. They're all, they are all, they're all pretty good. This is the first um, one I think that
0: we've done where every movie is good in its own way, right? <laughs>
1: where we just enjoyed them all. Yeah, especially A Bug's Life. So A Bug's Life came out in 1998. Oh my God! It is about we're Flick, doing it, and he's trying to defend the uh, ant colony from Hopper. So he has to go find a bunch of, uh, of 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 other bugs to defend the ant colony. But then it turns out they're circus performers. Uh
0: huh. <laughs> one of them is a big fat caterpillar.
1: One of them is a big ca- caterpillar. Oh man. That's a great movie too. They're all everything is just seven samurai. The
0: important thing for everyone to note here, the cliff notes, are that all these movies are good, so you can see any of them. Number two, every movie that you see instead of this one is actually a Magnificent Seven movie, so it all counts anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're all it's all it's all Magnificent Seven. It's all Seven Samurai. Um, thank you uh a, Akira Kazawa for influencing film to the point where everyone is just remaking your one great hit <laughs> over and over and over again. It's just every movie we see. If you can think of more movies that are Seven Samurai films, feel free to send them on over to us somehow, and we'll, we'll make sure... We uh we we make note of that. We should make a list on the Patreon yeah, how there many you films go. are just remakes of Seven Samurai. And speaking of the Patreon, <laughs> I
0: believe next time we probably finally have to record our Patreon punishment. The uh us we watch do. a the, terrible the, movie.
1: Uh our Patreons have spoken. They have chosen um the turning for us to watch. We Ugh. have to watch and record it. Oh no. I, I can't wait. Uh we will we will record a short um a a shorter than normal uh rendition of us doing doing this but about the turning and if you would like to hear that uh please subscribe to our patreon that will be a patreon exclusive um a lot of the patreon perks right now are completely out of date because so much movie news has dropped in the last two weeks that we haven't been able to keep up our schedules have been crazy and we've we've been we've been struggling just to even get this episode out but um what we're what's coming up is uh we will be covering all of the King Kong and Godzilla films so stoked. to get ready for uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, which will be out in March. And we hope to have all of those um, out before then. And then sometime at the end of March or April, we will be doing our Justice League episode that I am so excited about, where we will compare the Justice League that came out in theaters to the Justice League that will be on HBO Max. It will just we'll, We're comparing technically the, the same cut. thing, but it's not the same thing that's right yeah it's a, it's a, it's sort it's, of a remake it's a remaster it's it's, it's a the, new cut it's the, the two-hour version versus the four-hour version i don't know we'll, we'll find one out one of them is four hours uh,
0: mike what the fuck
1: yeah that's the, the snyder cut is being released in four one-hour episodes oh, they're no. cutting of into a show
0: oh no <laughs> <laughs> yes is it gonna be all that's, that's, is it gonna be all sepia I,
1: you know what? Zack Snyder did say in one interview he he wants he really, really wants to release it in black and white, but Warner Brothers won't let him. So I guess we'll find out. Good
0: for Warner Brothers. <laughs> Wait, so if we're doing the turning, does that mean I can delete uh, this file I have called badgrinches.docx?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. You have to keep the Bad Grinches one. We'll we'll put up another poll in the future. Maybe we'll we'll talk about the, uh, the what was it? The Grinch? Halloween the Grinch, is Grinches? Grinch Halloween Grinch night. We'll get to it. It's you know, eventually down the line, we're gonna run out of stuff to talk about, and we're just gonna have to backpedal through uh, all this nonsense bullshit we've gone through. Man, we uh, had too much. We had
0: too much fun recording this episode. Maybe we should drink, maybe we should drink tequila <laughs> we should before this, we record every episode. We should do
1: this late at night, drunk on tequila, uh, every time we record. Hell yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, I wonder if this will be as fun to listen to as it was for us to make. But thank you everybody for listening. Um, our our sign offs are always the worst part of our episode. We never so, know quite so how Dave, to end them. Go, so. go ahead. Dave, come up with a sign up right now sign off right now. This
0: episode was magnificent.
1: That's it. Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs>